Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Sit up straight. A little, a little, <laughs> a little technical, uh, a little technical maintenance here. While Shock. we shocked, we are. Well, do I get a raise since I can do camera too? I will. I will double what I pay you now. Okay. All right. So hold out for more. Yeah. <laughs> Good evening, everyone, and welcome to a late start here on the H Two O podcast. My Not name the is latest. Jason. Hunt. What? Not, Not the, the latest. Late. Not the latest. And certainly uh, not the most technically challenged start that we've had. No. Um, but I had I had forgotten since we were over on the new set last week, I had forgotten that there are new cables, new microphone cables, and I switched the uh, switched the microphones back, but I forgot to switch the cables back. So I stepped on your intro. Who are you? <laughs> that is my that is my burning question all the time. So, uh, my name is Jason Hunt. I'm the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. And do we do we have a title for you? Have no, we given I'm you just a title? about. You're just. I'm just. Here? I'm just here. I'm Timothy Harvey. Hi. Uh, I lurk around and and cause I mean, issues. To a certain point, I guess we could say maybe horror editor but we haven't been putting out very much in the way of horror stuff yet no no we have so not. get on that horror editor <laughs> <laughs> so anyway all right so earlier today i talked about the whole situation with George R. R. Martin. We're not going to get into that tonight. The The idea here uh, that we're talking about is Comic-Cons in general. And I've been looking at Comic-Con at home mm -hmm. and the numbers that are there for the various different videos and looking at various other Comic-Con virtual type of things. And I'm struck with a couple of takeaways. Yeah. One, virtual Comic-Cons are kind of a waste of time. People are not interested. And it, it, it could be the fact that you're not in person interacting with people. Right. That could be one part. The other part could be you're not actually going to the vendors booths and buying tchotchkes and stuff that you normally would not be able to go and get that sure. might be a thing maybe and the other takeaway is the democratization of online video the 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 resources the the potential of what online video gives to you sure is only as good as the people you have who know how to use it yes 
And there are a lot of people involved in online Comic Cons who do not know how to use it. Well, and, you, <clears throat> and not particularly wanting to dwell a, lot, a whole lot on uh, New, Ze uh, New Zealand's Worldcon, a significant chunk of World the issues of the Worldcon, including, I think, some of the George R. R. Martin stuff, is that there seems to be a whole lot of not knowing what was happening from one side to the other. Yeah. And a lot of... So, so one of the things that... My job, my day job, um, we all work from home. So we are... We, with the pandemic and all these things going on, we're all suddenly in a virtual world of communication where we're not physically in each other's presence very often. Um, so many people had to adjust to this virtual world. Mm -hmm. which we were very adjusted to. Right. And so the impact of that has been really, really interesting to watch from a perspective of someone who this, this was my life professionally before all of this. And of course, one thing we've noticed is that we've reached a point where while everyone was very hungry for contact and willing to go online and have conversations and hang out with each other all virtually, um, we've seen a significant trend, uh, both on the professional level and on the personal level, I've seen a lot of this too with my friends, um, of them going, can we just talk on the phone? Yeah. Um, you know, I wanna yeah. see you, I do, but I'm so Zoomed out, I'm so Skyped out. Yeah. And when you come to something like a Comic-Con, one of the things that you do when you are going to uh, uh, Planet Comic-Con here in Kansas City, Hey, or, and hold that thought. On the mixing board over here, oh. channel two. Let's let's boost Tim a little bit. The little knob, turn it to clockwise so yeah. Tim. Sure. Okay. That's a little better. All right. I, I think, okay. Thanks. Sorry. So, but your 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 con is you know Saturday, Sunday, and Friday night, or it is Thursday night, Friday, Saturday. Okay? Yeah. And if you're gonna go to that thing, you know it's that big thing. It's once a year. Maybe twice a year if you don't if you don't travel a lot and some you know things are relatively close to you and that sort of thing. You book that timeout. Mm -hmm. You're sitting there going, okay, this is my Friday, and I'm, I'm coming in from out of town, so I'm staying at a hotel, or I'm in town, but I got this event on Friday I want to see, and then uh, Saturday morning I want to get in early so I can hit the vendors and not have to worry about you know the crowd yeah. that's going to be there at noon. And you plan this stuff out, and you go there, and then you're in this space. And because you're in this space, you're in this space with people who are there the same reasons you're there. And it's a it ends up being a community thing. It's, a, it's an environment that you're in. And so you go to the panels, and you go to the vendor booths, and you go to the screening, and you go to the... Because it's part of the experience. Right. And that's doing that from home. It's a, yeah, it's a little a bit different. It's a completely, completely different, thing. different thing. Robert in the chat says it could also be you're not dressing up in skin tight tights and the expectation you'll drunkenly hook up with a nerdy semi famous person. You don't get to do that when you're at home. Yes, you can. It's uh, just it, the it's, circumstances it's a, are going to be it's a completely different. Completely different type that's, of thing. That's costs a, a yeah. little bit more. Well, well <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cost which, a lot more. Which, which, in which environment, Mindy, does it well, cost a little bit more? Okay, so. <laughs> So here at home, and, and that raises and that raises a that raises a, a a topic of discussion that we've had here. 
Um, she's charging we have, you? We have noticed. No, she's not. You want, why don't you turn up number one a little Sorry, bit? Sorry, that too. was. We oh, have we, we have noticed uh, a number of cosplayers and gamers, especially the female ones, who have in and there's been a huge proliferation of them in the midst of this pandemic, where they're all setting up OnlyFans accounts. Sure, and a lot of them are. You know, they're doing the cosplay stuff, but you know, it's it's kind of kind of like Patreon, only a little bit less safe for work Patreon. Sure. Now not all of them are doing the right. you know, the boudoir and the and the, the other girl. stuff and you know, the cam girls type stuff and, and that. But we got to talking about it because you know, you start seeing all of these things. It's like, well, it's a revenue stream. What if we set up an OnlyFans for the office dogs? So I would say to you, <laughs> on one hand, because we can take the you know the daily dose of dog, and convert it, and it could become a. <laughs> and Alfie can be not safe for work. I'm gonna say there's probably a market for that. I would imagine there might be. And it could be a completely innocent market for that. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that it could be a completely innocent market for that. Um, I have I, I follow, my my background is in art and I do some photo I do some performance photography and things like that I follow some photographers and models on on Instagram and some of the some of the art models um, have OnlyFans accounts um, and uh, I have resisted the urge to I don't subscribe to a lot of yeah things I, as as, I, as it is I mean I have one I currently subscribe to one Patreon account yeah. And it's an author because, you know, I want more of his books. Well, and I know I, I know a couple of people who have OnlyFans accounts. I have not subscribed to any of them. And and it and it kind of goes along the lines of one, what kind of content they're producing. Two, where's your limit? Because well, if you're if you start to support one person or two or three or where where do you stop? Yeah, and that's on the personal side of things. On the professional side of things, if you're looking at cosplayers or or doing something like that, and if you come up in some sort of an environment where you have to say you're judging a contest or you're doing an interview or something like that, I don't want any kind of suggestion of impropriety on sure, the one right. hand uh -huh. but also you know this is the same kind of of thinking that i have with uh, with regard to crowdfunding if we're going to review a book i don't want to have money invested in that book because right. it's not ethical and this is what you ran into with some of the, some of the gamergate stuff is there were relationships between the journalists and the gaming developers that weren't disclosed when all of these positive reviews kept coming out and it was like well wait a minute now suddenly and and eventually they started to admit that they have these relationships with these people it's like well okay we can't trust you at all with any of this stuff and, well, and i don't want to get us in that situation and i think one thing you have to bear yeah. in mind with it when if you have a relationship with someone that you are contributing money to uh, even in a you don't know them in the slightest mm -hmm. but you happen to be backing their patreon account or your their indiegogo campaign or anything like that 
always remember one very important thing. That's fine. But be honest about it and upfront about it. It is. Yeah. It, there's a long-standing tradition of, you know, um, news articles written by people and saying, and and somewhere in that first paragraph is the are the words, full disclosure. This you know this right. company receive fun receives funding from the such and such a board. And so yeah, you, and you, and you get a lot of that with you know if if say. ABC reports on something happening over at ESPN, and they say, "Well, they're our sister company. We're all owned by the Disney company." Right. You know, and, those kind of things. And the, you know whether or not whether or not the question you know of impropriety remains, you have at least disclosed that, and right. you have at least established that relationship. So there's no confusion, and you don't bury it sixteen paragraphs in. So so Office Dog OnlyFans. Uh, you know. You know. Maybe maybe we'll do a poll. I have I have no. There's, there, you know, it, it's a judgy world, but I have no judgment whatsoever for anybody who sits there and goes, you know, at this point right now, there's many, many people in the arts struggling as they are right now with, I mean, yeah. theaters and, and venues and, and opportunities are closed. Um, if, if that's a way that you can make money, I'll power to you. Um, I, I, you know, I, it's, I, I'm just going to warn you now, I'm, I don't have the budget to, to take care of the, the people I'd like to no, uh, yeah. in any venue. So. Speaking of budgets, let's uh, let's throw the subscribe star card up here for a moment. If anybody does want to support us in a monetary fashion, we have the subscribe star account, subscribestar.com/sci-fi for me. And uh, we've also got super chats. We've also got the PayPal tip jar, so you have those options uh, as well. And if you want to save money on swag, we have that set up as well over at SuperheroStuff.com. You can use the promo code Sci-Fi for Me 10 and save 10% on your order for stuff that you can wear when you get on your Zoom call and visit the virtual events that might or might not be worth the time. I think another thing that's popped up is that a lot of these performers or writers or creative teams have already been appearing in other venues yeah. online. So going to, you know, if you can get, say, the cast of Hannibal, because they did a thing, you know, if you can get them on this web channel for free... And you got them two weeks ago, and you so you've just gotten you know lots of questions. You're, you're you want to know if the show's coming back. You want to hear how the actors felt about that scene or whatever it is. You you're getting that outside of these Comic Con events, and so you may sit there and go, well, "I'd like to check that out," but because again you're at home, yeah, you don't have the impetus. You don't have like the burning desire to do that. Well, the other thing too is you've got. Some of these uh, promoters, like Wizard World, for example, is, is setting up the virtual Q&As and the personal one-on-ones and all of those things, and they're putting them behind a paywall. Mm -hmm. And I have to wonder how many people are actually interested enough that they would pay money to have a Zoom video call with uh, Nathan Fillion, for example, or or William Shatner. Or, you know, I, I think there's there's going to be an audience for that. 
there is a certain mindset that, that exists in the wonderful world of advertising. That if something is free, it's not as valuable as the $5 thing right. or the $10 thing. Right. How much that plays into this, I have no idea, but it's a thing that does exist. And so there's something to that. Um, but I think a lot of things that we've seen over the last... Um, so you, when you have these, you know, like these panels where you bring in the cast, and you know, it was it happened a month ago and had nothing to do with Comic Con or or the Hugo's or anything like that. Right. You end up with uh, a certain expectation of what you're going to get. So if you've got a Zoom call and it's on, uh, say, um, Dread Central does a Zoom call with the cast of, you know, Halloween. All right. Just sure. So let's say they've done that. Okay. You're going to, and they're not charging you. It's a free thing, and it's a, you know. And it's basic. It's basically a commercial for the new Halloween movie. You know, that's what these are, and that, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. That's, but it's kind of a panel. It's kind of a panel, and, and which maybe is kind of what you'd see at Hall H. And maybe you've got some audience questions, but certainly you've got a discussion going on between these people and whoever's hosting it, no. and that can be really engaging. But if you go to something like Comic Con at Home or WorldCon, there's an expectation that you're going to get something else. And I think some of the blowback um, from, say, the Hugo Awards um, came from the fact that it wasn't, but also the fact that how the how things are put together on the back end. Um, one of the major complaints that I saw coming out of the Hugos, leaving aside any of the of the, the George R. R. Martin stuff, is that the New Zealand authors. The New Zealand, because uh, new here's 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 some news, folks. New Zealand has their own writing community. Yeah, it's and a, they've got their own award. It's a separate country. Mm. It's on a different part of the planet. The deuce you say. It's true. What? And so and so and 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 here's another thing. They're proud of their writers there. Oh yeah, and and understandably so. I mean, in in the late 1800s, the and I, and I find this fascinating. Every time we do this, we, we've posted the list for the last couple of years uh, since I found out about it. And they started posting this because as part of the Worldcon. But New Zealand has their own Hugo. It's called the Sir Julius Vogel Award. And it's named for uh, Sir Julius Vogel, who was a premier. He was an elected official of New Zealand. And wrote the very first science fiction novel to come out of New Zealand. And it was something called Anno Domini something, something. And, and, and it was one of, it, it was, uh, apparently it's a huge accomplishment at the time. So the award, the New Zealand Hugo, is named for Sir Julius Vogel. And there are, I don't know, 10, 12 categories or something. And they announced those uh, the same time they announced the Retro Hugos. They announced those after the Retro Hugos. Yeah. So the Retro Hugos, which is already... Okay, I'm a huge fan. We've uh, Folks, or anyone who's watched this show for some time know that I'm a, I'm a fan of film noir, okay? I'm a fan of old movies. I love black and white movies. I love silent pictures. Okay, a lot of people don't. It's a taste. The retro Hugos have some of that attached to it. It's because some of that, some of as much as, as much as there is value 
in the early 20th century science fiction and fantasy and horror, as much as there is groundbreaking things there, modern audiences can, just like modern audiences with film, can look at the style, can look at the content, can look at the texture of the storytelling, yeah. and not have it touch them the same way that stuff is touching them now. We see that with television. We've talked about this before, is that 1960s, 1970s television story style is vastly different than what we're getting today. So does that, for you, mean that the retro Hugos shouldn't take place? They don't have the same value? I, it, we're to me we're they looking do. at them to from me the they wrong do. perspective? Well, to or? me they do, because I'm interested in that. Right. But I'm also aware, in the same way that I'm a niche audience with, you know, 1940s movies... And silent movies, there's a there's a narrowing of interest mm -hmm. there, and you and and you know I mean there's there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Styles change, you know, writing styles change, and and it's certainly you know we all move on in terms of what we find interesting, um, and young the next generation always finds things different. You see it in music too. I mean it's it's all these things, but at the same time, you know there's there's a place for the retro Hugo's I think, but you know what. The place for the New Zealand Awards isn't. It's following the Retro Hugos. <laughs> I mean, it should be that should have been front and center for this. I mean, that's, yeah, and it, and I saw a lot of a lot of comments back and forth about how the New Zealand talent did not get highlighted as yeah, much as they all, should have. And honestly, I think that I would have I would have traded forty five minutes of George R. R. Martin's hour and a half of talk. For a forty-five minute history yeah. of New Zealand science fiction and fantasy, because I don't I, know anything about it. Yeah, well, and see, and the other thing too is you have to wonder how much of that was impacted by the fact that this went virtual instead of was in person. Well, some of that is going to be going to happen, and here's the other issue I think that people don't realize when they are because they aren't on camera a lot, and you and I deal with this all the time, uh, and we're used to it. But I think a lot of people simply aren't. If you are sitting in front of a camera recording something without an audience. You don't have the same kind of instant feedback yeah. to play off that audience to know that you need to pick it up. You need to wrap it up. You need to move on because whatever it is you're talking about isn't hitting the audience the way you want it to. And that's one of the things that I saw with the with with Martin's response. Um, and you know, the these are stories he told before and things like that. But he wasn't telling them to an audience at home. He was telling them to a camera. Yeah. And 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 I this... imagine that there's a lot of that. But but the other thing too is the planning that's involved. Mm -hmm. Because okay, now we have to adjust. And and I get it. All of these events going virtual, everybody is scrambling. They're trying to figure these things out. And I said uh, today on, on Live from the Bunker, one of the problems with the democratization of online video, one of the problems that it brings is that anybody can do this. Sure. And if you have someone in your organization who's got the skills for it, great. But if all if everybody in your group is making it up as you go, then you're going to have problems. And that's one of the reasons why when we when we reached out to a number of different organizers, Fan Expo, Read Pop, 
we 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 said we know how to do this right this is something that we've done we want to do more let us let us help you how do we how can we help oh no we got okay and there are a number of events that have gone virtual that are doing it themselves and they clearly are making it up as they go and I will be the first to admit that I don't know beans about Discord, but I know video. Mm -hmm. And I know how television works. I've been in the media for 30 years. I know I know all of this. And it's not something you just pick up in a weekend. No, and it's just not. and just go. Even if all you have is a webcam and a YouTube channel, you can't just go. Well, uh, there you are. You can, yeah, but it's say, not going to look good. There's a fairly large portion of YouTube uh, which would argue with that with you, and they and they'd be wrong. One of the things that we saw again at at Worldcon was a, a technical side of this that runs into, uh, and I want to, uh, I don't want to, just bash on Worldcon. It, it's a complicated process, and we know that. And and sometimes you just, I mean, running a con is a complicated process in person. Yeah, shifting that over with as many moving parts to video. For as much as criticism is here, there's also a lot of sympathy on my part for what some of these folks went to to get it, make it even happen. So I give, I, I, it didn't play out the way that a lot of people were happy with, but that doesn't mean that the folks behind it didn't work very hard and try. That's that. Let's let's keep that in mind as we talk, as we as we sit there and go, oh, this terrible mistake that you've made. They tried to do a thing and I, just and, it, and to some degree that's you know yeah I, I have sympathy, but. Uh, for example, yeah. one of the issues that we ran into, uh, we they ran into, um, was subtitles. Oh, yeah. Their subtitles were, um, you know how you go through Google Translate <laughs> and you've translated from Romanian uh -huh. to um, uh, English yeah. and then over into Japanese? And by the time you're done, you're looking at things going, I'm pretty sure that's not the word. Yeah. I Turns out, from what we what some of this stuff is coming out from some of the, the uh, and I can't speak to this, no, let me let me call it this, I can't speak authoritatively this is true, but some of the things I've seen popping up have been that there was a professionally produced subtitles set oh. that wasn't used. Ah, and well, and it could very well be that they didn't know how to upload it. It's entirely possible. So, I mean, there's a real challenge here. We just came off the Kansas City Fringe Festival, which is a live event. Fringe festivals are live. And all the fringe festivals around the world are scrambling. Mm. And I'm really curious because this weekend, I think, or this week, um, the first of the big summer festivals in Edinburgh is kicking off. Mm. And, of course, Edinburgh is a huge festival town, including the original Fringe Festival, which right. runs for a month, historically. And it's all these live things, and it's a huge moneymaker for the town, and also a huge headache for the residents. <laughs> but um, Can't begin to fathom why. And it's gotten even worse, because they passed laws that basically said you can't rent out rooms in your house uh, uh, without being a hotel. Right. And uh, a lot of a lot of uh, Edinburgh residents sat there and went, "What?" <laughs> anyway, um, 
so a, a lot of people are really looking at this to see how it works, how it's going to play out, because, of course, these are huge festivals with a lot of moving parts um, that a lot of smaller fringe festivals have been having to deal with on their own as well. Right. So the Casey Festival went entirely virtual this year. And they had two, basically two paths. One was if you were a live act that could record your performance. Or in the case of the Independent Filmmakers Coalition, it's short films anyway. Sure. I just had to assemble a program and deliver that program to the fringe folks. They could then, you know, you buy a ticket, you get to watch the program, right? Um, for some of the live shows, like um, the Volaire Thieves of Flight show that I filmed and edited, um, you know, it's a live performance. I filmed it. I cut it together to make a program. That's what they screened. When you buy a ticket, you got to watch the 52-minute right. program of, of aerialists. Um, not plain aerialists, but aerial acrobatics and dancing and that sort of stuff. So if you could do that, if you had time, because of course the folk, we were we there was this pause where everyone was trying to figure out is it going to be live? Can we even have a live show? Is there a live option? Can you do a social distancing theater show outside? You know, how how does this all work? And um, the cons are dealing with this as well mm -hmm. and, and different different way. Um, but you end up with the decisions getting made. Of course, you're going to do it. So you're going to do it virtually now because you just want to be safe. And if you can make it work, and some artists simply couldn't, they didn't have time, they didn't have a venue to do their show in, to get filmed or whatever, whatever, a lot of different reasons. But we ended up with a program uh, for the festival that had a reasonable number of programs and a, some variety between them, um, lots of different production level, sure. um, and some of them were very, very slick, some of them were, were very not slick, um, and some of the not slick ones were actually really cool to watch. Even though they were they were not well produced, or it was a single camera angle of a stage yeah. show, and well, and there's it was overlit, said, and you know, I mean, there's production value being a thing. It doesn't necessarily follow that you have to do this biggie wow fully produced thing. Um, and to answer Robert's question, no, I don't think anybody is going to wrest control of the Hugos away from the World Science Fiction Society. That is their thing and really outside of the world science fiction society i think everybody is pretty content to let them have their thing because y'all can go do your thing we're going to go sell books because if you look at the numbers nobody cares about the hugos nobody cares about the world con because less than 2000 people voted in the entire world so how relevant it is, I mean, that's, oh. that's even, you know, that's up for But bear in mind that in, mo in most of these awards, you're looking at a relatively small number of people. We actually looked up. Dragon Con's first year, mm -hmm. uh, the Dragon Award first year, over 11,000 votes. That's still a relatively small number. It is. But comparatively. Oh, comparatively, sure. I but mean, the, the, other thing be, the other thing to bear in mind about the, the, any of these organizations who are running this award right now is remember that how they are now is different than they were 30 years ago. True. And how they're going to be in 30 years, because these the, a lot of the folks... If they're around in 30 years. Well, the Hugos will be. But we saw this when we were at the Hugos, when we were at Worldcon. Yeah. Is that there was... This was not that long ago. This isn't in... 19, we didn't do it in the 70s. We no. didn't do it in the 80s. It was four the, years ago. It was four years ago. Okay. 
And one of the things that we saw is that, first of all, a lot of the folks involved in the Hugos are older. And uh, trust me, I'm 50. There's something wrong with getting older. I'm a fan, actually. I'm going to try and keep doing it as long as I can. Um, but the thing is, is that we, in the gross generalization that you get, older people in technology, older people and and moving with the times, quote unquote, whatever, yeah. however you want to look at it. Um, the folks running the Hugos 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, it's going to be a whole new generation of writers. Well, at the same time, though, I mean, the conversations that we had with the Mid-American people where they were trying to figure out just what we were talking about yeah. when we came in and said, we want to broadcast from the show. And they're like, well, you want to do what? You're going to run into that same technological disconnect 30 years from now, generationally, because you're going to have the people running the holograms. And the people like us who are I'm like, gonna, wait, holograms, I'm right? I'm going to disagree with you there because the folks who are, because you and I grew up in a time where we had this burst of technology and this no. acceleration of technology. And our kids are got that even more so. I and suppose. their kids are going to have it even more so. Yeah. And we're never going to get the flying cars because they're dangerous kids. I, 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 I remember I, I had that story on Saturday. New Hampshire just made flying cars street legal. We are we're one step closer. We are we should not get flying cars <laughs> because they're dangerous. Can you? I live, we live in Kansas City. I-35 <laughs> runs through this town, I know, people. I know, right? I-35 is... I-35 is a suburb of hell. And let me tell you, you do not want it in three dimensions. No, well, that's true. <laughs> M Mindy, you leaned toward the mic earlier. Did you have a point to make? Did you have something you wanted to... Oh, well, there's just a couple things, because you guys had first... Just to... The things I've thought of while you guys were talking and because of what I do for the site in regards to events and so forth. Um, one, you were talking about Wizard World and putting it beyond, behind the paywall and, you know, expecting, people expecting to get something yes. by doing it at home, but then we also laughed at how much they were charging, which is ridiculously pricey for sitting at home in your pajamas and getting to meet with someone. Um, another thing that you had talked about... What was, are they charging? What are oh, they charging? gosh. What was it, like 70 or something weird like that to get into some of these panels with the celebrities? Into a panel? It was... Yeah, I'll look it up while you um, guys continue. Yeah. All, I, all I can yeah, say Wizard is... Wizard World was, was charging Wizard a World gob of money. It was ridiculously expensive. All yeah. I can... After we had said something to them about, hey, can we do something for you? If I can get a one-on-one -on -one with... Patrick Stewart for 20 minutes, that that might be a viable thing. But the thing is, is I'm not gonna. Well, the amount no. that they are charging is the same amount you would charge to pay to stand in line and get them to sign something for you. Mm. And they're doing that whole where, okay, pay for it and we'll mail it to you. So you're paying for stuff that you don't even get to sit there and tell the guy... I love you while you sign my name. Yeah, it's yeah. it's um, again again it's it's a lot of a lot of these events are having to adjust on the fly. Sure. And they're having to figure these things out. And and we've talked about this, Mindy and I have, have talked about, you know, figuring this out. There are going to be a lot of mistakes. Oh, sure. There are gonna be a lot of decisions that turn out to be not the best way to go. And and if 
we find ourselves in this situation again. Hopefully we don't. Oh, I'd but, love to not be in this situation I know, next year. but if we are in this situation again, there are going to be a lot of adjustments. A lot oh, of people sure, are going to reevaluate and they're going to sit there and go, okay, what can we do different? But the other part of that, and this is something that I would like to get in on with maybe some of the smaller events, is the idea of the virtual con is out there now. The genie is out of the bottle. You're not going to put it back. Right, sure. So now, as we get back to some semblance of normal, a lot of these events are going to have to figure out, A, do we incorporate some virtual element now moving forward into our stuff? And B, if we do, what does it look like? Is this a panel track? Is it a series of interviews? Is it going to be like Sci-Fi Wire where they have their own stage at the Read Pop events and you have the Sci-Fi Wire and that's mm -hmm. the, like you're talking about Dread Central with the Friday the 13th thing and right, that's sure. the thing because that's what Sci-Fi Wire was doing right. was the the panel that it was the promotional sales pitch panel for whatever movie or whatever it came right. out. They're not doing that anymore. They only did it for a couple of years with Read Pop. They're not doing it anymore. I'm like, we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and on that note, another thing that when we were watching some of the stuff from Comic Con at home, we had that one panel for Star Trek, oh. and yeah, everybody just saw that look. It's exactly what it was because that, I was ready to walk out of the room, and I was stuck because I'm having to work. That and was you talk about the pre-production. Oh. You know how much of this is going to be pre-produced, kind of like with what happened with George R. R. Martin, you know, they yeah. did it ahead of time. Well, this was, yeah, sure, they all got together and did it ahead of time, but when you're not in the room with all the people listening, your moderator guy who needs to <laughs> have duct tape across his mouth... Um, the Star Trek he, panel. Well, you can't read the crowd. Yeah. Right. Well, there would have been enough people there rolling their eyes that you could have probably heard it ten miles away. Well, the thing is, the thing is, with the Star Trek panel, there were two problems with the Star Trek panel besides the fact that it was pre-recorded. One is you had a moderator who was suck-up moderator mm, and sure. everybody in the panel was all feel good pat each other on the back you're so great you're so great you're so great you're so great. you remember the chipmunks remember the chipmunks oh after you oh no 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 after you oh no 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 you know the proper gentleman chipmunks i don't even remember what they are that was this whole panel mm. for an hour and a half or however long they were all oh you're so great are you so great oh you're so great oh you're so great our show is great this channel is great. This year, oh by the way, NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Okay, what? What? Tell us something about Star Trek. Let's talk about the show. Give us news. Give us an announcement. You know, we get a we get an oh by the way from Heather Caden saying oh by the way, the the Nickelodeon show is called Star Trek Prodigy and here's the logo. Now back to our patting each other back. And the other part of it is that it is it, that panel was so badly edited. Mm. It's just, I mean, like chopped. Somebody took a meat cleaver to the raw footage. And then after 
duct taping it together, hit it with a meat tenderizer, and said, here's the panel. How much do you want to bet that there were moments of not patting everybody on the back and they talked oh, them all I'm out sure. to, give it, to, I'm to sure. give it a theme that basically I'm was sure. it's going to be a chipper, which sure. is which is a conscious decision by an editor. And folks, by the way, as an editor, um, I get it. I get the logic, but I'm also going to tell you that that's not necessarily what fans want. Well, not only that, but you lose the live element. Yeah, you know, you... if you're doing a panel, the the beauty of a panel at a convention is the crowd, is the interaction, the Q and A, the people coming up and saying, "I want to know X." Look, we did a panel for the filmmakers who are involved with the the IFC's program for Fringe. Uh huh. Okay, and the young lady who was doing the panel, who was actually setting up all the panels. Um, was I, I, my hat is off I'm not wearing a hat, you can see it my hat's off to her because not only did she just have a kid she's dealing with that mm. she's dealing with all the, all the, uh, the virtual stuff for the festival which is brand new yeah. and she's juggling a lot right now um, it was, there were times I was frustrated because I wanted an answer quicker from her about ahead of time and I get that, that that's that's my, that was my own thing, my own frustrations, mm -hmm. right? Right. But I give her a lot of credit for what she pulled off. Um, when we were doing our panel, and this is a structural thing, that sometimes you have to look at the person hosting the panel who's asking the questions. You've got to look at them and say, okay, yes, I put together the film program, but I didn't make a film this year. Don't ask me questions. <laughs> Ask them questions. Yeah. And so at a certain point, because because I'm the producer of the show, my name's on the bill, even right. though it should be... But you didn't at, make the movies. I didn't make the movies. You just assembled it. Right. Yeah. And so one of the things that ended up happening is that there were a couple of points during the thing where I asked filmmakers questions instead of going... I sat there and, you know, she'd ask me a question, and then I'd turn and go, Brighty. Talk to me about your film because yeah. I love that the film is shot so well. It's so beautiful. You know, how did you get that effect? So you essentially took over as a co-moderator. There. Uh, there were a couple yeah. of times, and it's yeah. not be it's not because the young lady who was who she was not moderating poorly, but one of the things we didn't have time to do ahead of time was for me to basically say, and and I could have done a better job of this through email and just saying, look, sure, you know, minimize the questions to me, ask them to the creative folks. Well, it doesn't even occur. I mean, I wouldn't expect you to think that you'd be the focus just having been the one to put them all together in a reel. But if you don't have that conversation before, yeah. and because and because the film, the how, how most of the stuff for Fringe actually breaks down, a little inside baseball for, for performance festivals, right, is mm -hmm. that you have to have a point of contact. Right, and if you're if if you're doing a well, stage that's true show, of any convention, right? But if yeah. you're doing a stage show, that's usually the director. Yeah. Or and and so the terminology for the Fringe Festival is you have a producer, and they are involved. That is there's your contact for whatever kind of it is, whether it's a one person show, or it's a thirty cast thing, or it's a dance show, or it's a theater, or it's a comedy bit. Yeah. So it was you, and you became the one in charge. I'm the one of, in charge, yeah, right? Yeah, and. So. And of course, I'm also the I've also been the person who's run all the film programs for the Fringe mm -hmm. for quite a while. Yeah. And so there's a certain amount of built-in, 
it's Tim. We talked to Tim. Sure. And but when you're doing something like a Star Trek panel, and I have not seen the Star Trek panel, let's be oh, very, very clear. It's bad. I haven't seen it. Don't. But what you do? They they got copyright struck by, by their own their thing. I own did hear about this. company. That was hilarious. Uh, well, and and really, okay. It tells you something about the copyright strike system. If you're system, going man. to do a panel about your show, mm. and if you don't have the live component of a Q&A, then I would expect your moderator to start asking questions about the show. I don't need a table read of an episode that has already aired, fully produced, Done, finished, gone, that finished. That can actually be a separate thing because yes. because fans enjoy that sort of stuff. There is there is a market for that. When um, I, I will I will tell you that when I was in college, my friend Mark and I drove. He came from Lawrence, picked me up in Manhattan. We drove to Kansas City so that we could watch the trailer. For Star Trek VI. <laughs> now, in fairness, in fairness, there was a back-to-back uh, -back screening of all the Star Trek films. Ah, uh, there we go. But <laughs> but the but the thing is, is that everybody showed up for this back-to-back -back screening of this, so we could watch the trailer to Star Trek VI. So, so there, trust me, there's an audience for that. I'm 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 going to admit to something, and I probably have mentioned it before. I have a copy of that trailer. I have a 35 millimeter print. I know this. You told me this trailer. before. Mm -hmm. Yes, and Robert, I I am not ignoring your question about CGI young young Indiana Jones. I have not heard about CG Indy. I have heard about CG Luke Skywalker, and maybe that's something we should talk about. Maybe not Maybe not next week, but uh, in, in a very very early soon soon to happen episode, because the rumor is. I'll digress for just a minute so people have some context here. The rumor is that Lucasfilm, Disney, is looking at the possibility of a new Luke Skywalker film with a de-aged Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker set sometime after Return of the Jedi, maybe Mandalorian era or following, and that's the rumor that's swirling around. I have not heard... I, I haven't heard anything about a CG Indiana Jones. I will, but we, we, we can definitely come back to this. Yeah, but we can I will, come back. I will definitely. I will say this right now. Please don't, <laughs> and take a lesson. Take a lesson from, um, oh, for crying out loud! Now I'm going to draw a blank. Doctor Sleep. Okay, I know a lot of people did not see Doctor Sleep. Uh, it's an excellent horror film. I recommend that you see it if you're a fan of Stephen King and if you're a fan of The Shining because it's a sequel to The Shining. Right. I think it's very well put together. It's got some issues. It's not a perfect movie. But it is a well-crafted, slow-burn horror film with a great cast. And one of the things the director did was he, he rebuilt the Overlook from the, from the, the, Kubrick, the movie. Kubrick blueprints. He rebuilt it, and it's gorgeous. But what he didn't do was give us a CGI Jack Nicholson. He did not give us a CGI Shirley, 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 Shelley Duvall. Shelley Duvall. Um, what they did was they cast people who evoked them yeah. and could deliver a performance that evoked them. Trust me, you are not going... To, 
Christian Slater is the closest we ever got to a young Jack Nicholson. <laughs> and Christian Slater, I'm pretty sure, is older than I am. Well, so he's not a is, young though, anybody anymore. But with Dr. Sleep, though, and I, I have not seen the movie, but if you're going to do the, the flashbacks, I guess. Mm, well, flashbacks or, at some point, but, but at one... But, spoiler, but how much are they in the film as there opposed is a, to, like... There is a, the, the scene, the scene with, with the, uh, you know, the Danny encountering his father, the, uh, the, the ghost of his father, spoiler alert, if you've... Right. Okay. He died in the first film, guys. If he shows up in the second, he's probably a ghost. Yeah. Um, it's a haunted hotel. Okay. You should be able to put this together. Maybe maybe a force ghost. <laughs> maybe. Um, but he there's a significant scene where they are he's on camera and they're interacting and it is very much and if you look at him, he doesn't look that much like Jack Nicholson at all. But he captures the essence of the character. And quite frankly, if you're gonna go do this, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, because mm -hmm. Recasting characters has happened. How many different people have played Superman? How many different people have played Batman? I, hold on. Yeah, the, but uh, sorry, but sorry, but Star Wars and Indiana Jones have moved into the same myth uh... myth space. I, I they are the same myth space as superheroes. They just are. But so the thing is, you can recast, but. but... Think think about when you're doing that. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a dead ringer for Mark Hamill. Yeah. It just has to be Luke Skywalker. Well, and, and a, a lot of people have said Sebastian Stan looks enough like him to to do that because you've done the morphing and the. But thing, I'm less but... I'm less concerned with the look as I am with capturing the essence of the character. And yeah, but we, it's got to look similar. We, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you, you did. We, yeah, we can yeah, circle. Yeah, we can, yeah, we can yeah, circle back around to this. But but you talk about the essence of a thing. You know, you bring you bring in a Comic Con, a virtual Comic Con. Mm -hmm. What is the essence of a convention? What is the essence of a Comic Con? It depends on the thing because you. So for for so the the essence of the Hugos because we've been at one uh -huh. and we noticed the tone was very very different. It was much more akin to a con from the seventies or eighties. It's mm -hmm. a much it's a smaller, more laid back, spread out kind of thing as opposed to the. Because we went to the, we walked down the aisles to look at the things to buy, and there was room. Yeah, and there weren't that many people there. No, well, and and well, there weren't that many vendors either. It, right. it wasn't it, that wasn't the focus. Um, and again, it, it it was very much a these are these are book people, and as a book person, I, I it's, it's a vibe I'm comfortable with. But it's also a very different expectation. But once you move that into the virtual realm, you don't. Once a once a con goes virtual, there's an expectation for the audience who has never been to such a place before, and you are not. You're not. You simply are not. Let me say it again. You're not going to capture the essence of a world con on video the same way you're not going to capture the essence of a dealer room at yeah. Planet Comic Con on video you and know, get the same thing as the experience. I I look back at the stuff we did when we covered Worldcon. Mm -hmm. And the live streams that we did and all of the interviews and all of the here's what's going on and back and forth and the coverage and coverage and coverage. If you look just at that, Worldcon is a bigger event because 
we were very active. We were, you know, mm -hmm. here's the crowd and here's that. And here's, you know, Maya and Dan and Sam out there, you know, reporter on the, on the floor sure. and this and that. And, the, and it was, it was much bigger production. But if you actually were there with 10 people on the floor, 50 people on the floor, it was dead well, a lot of time. And, and I get it. There were a lot of people that were in the panels. Right. And, and it is a comparative thing because, of yeah. course, you're looking at, again, the when you go to something like a planet or you go to Chicago or you go to New York or, or well, New York and L.A. And, and some of these places where it's as much a media event. Right. Where it's designed to be a studio promotion thing as much as a, a, a fan well, and there's not and so much of that of at that. Chicago. We know when you go to C two E two, there's a lot of vendor booths. Artist Alley is huge yeah. at C two E two, and all of the celebrities are in the back. How do you do Artist Alley virtually? Yeah. Well, coming back to Fringe, there's an there's an arts program where it's basically here's painters, mm -hmm. and one of the things that they did this year was there's a virtual gallery of their work you can go through. You can sit there and look at the images, and that's fine. But they also did a lot of interviews with the artists and a lot of discussion where they sat sure. there and tour, virtual tours of their studio yeah, and that sort of thing. Well, um, and, and Peter Sumetti uh, of Alterna Comics, when he does his uh, drawing streams, he has, a, he has a camera on him. Mm-hmm. So he can interact with people and, you know, check the chat and he can talk to people and whatnot. Sure. But then he's also got a camera over his drawing space. Right. And he can go back and forth. And I think for an artist, for a virtual artist alley, that you do something like that, where you have the artist who can interact with the chat and the live stream. And if you're hosting and doing a Q&A or something like, you know, like we would do, and then also have a... a a camera on the art very much like Jim Lee's panel at C2E2 where sure. he's up on stage and he's got a table and he's got the camera while he's drawing he's interacting with the crowd now logistically this could be much more complicated when it comes to um, a virtual version of a con um, because of course if you've got 50 artists logistically build having them each having their own thing could be yeah problematic and so there's 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 lots of ways it still needs to get hashed out and and made to make sense well and and that's when you go in because what we've what we've started to do with live from the bunker we're scheduling interviews mm -hmm. and granted it's one a day but you go into zoom and you set up the schedule and say here are all the different things sure or you have the single one. Here's the link. Everybody comes in. Your time's at one o'clock. Your time's at three o'clock. Your time's at five o'clock, and you do the stream, and they come in as they're scheduled. Mm -hmm. And thanks for coming. And now you're done, and somebody else comes in. But all of that is pre-planning, right. and you have to have somebody, or a number of somebodies, who can act as your producers on all of that where you're coordinating who shows up in what stream at what time for how long and what are you going to do and what are you going to talk about and how much interaction is there going to be with the people all of these things a lot of these virtual cons are figuring it out on the fly right and so that's what, to their detriment well and this year if if this is what next year looks like too if we're running into the same issues when one's going you would assume 
that there's people who are looking at the results of this mm. and saying, okay, this worked, this didn't. This didn't work, this did. Yeah. And, and recognizing that some things, you know what, we need more than a month to plan this properly. I've got to have three months so I can make sure that the infrastructure for this technical thing you want to do is in place. Yeah. I've got to have, I've got to start planning now for next year so I can make sure that this happens the way I want it to. And what do you do if some of the people you want to participate decide that they want to get paid to participate? How do you handle that part? Well, do maybe, you get maybe donations? Are, do you get sponsors? Do, do you, you have a paywall? Do you do a paywall? And and I think that, it, again, fans fans are willing to pay for things. Well, again, it comes down to what are they willing to pay for when they don't get to be in the same room breathing the same air. Well, and that's it's, it's fan, fans are willing to pay for things, but they have to have value yeah. for what they pay. And and sometimes, you know, if you believe me, we've seen plenty of people stand in line for an autograph from people for amounts of money that, quite frankly, I don't need anybody's autograph that badly. No. And and some fans, that's not an issue for them, and they're but happy they to do to it. Be there with the and I yeah. completely understand that, and I have no interest in that myself, and that's yeah. fine. Cool. But there's but there's there is an audience for that. But recognizing that it's not going to be the same prices. It's, I, I'm, I'm thinking. Yeah, you got what have you got? Wizard World. So this is Wizard World. This is for August twenty second. So it's to come up still. And this mm -hmm. is for just Smallville. The, um, the cast and crew, the yeah, show. Yeah, so we've got... So there are options for ticket information. You have the free live question and answer, which is, you know, basically a moderated live video. Okay, them. so if I was a fan of Smallville and, and, and wanted to do that... It's free. I'm, I'm on board with that, sure. Right. Now you can do a video, a live video chat, which is an exclusive two-minute private one-on-one -on -one video chat with... One of them. Okay, so you're standing at the table. You're getting you you would or maybe you'd be getting something signed or getting a photo taken with them. So okay, so okay. all right. We have a recorded video message, and you will be able to enter the instructions for your recorded message. Two hundred and fifty character limit. So like a tweet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Autographs, which include eight by eight photo CD drumsticks or drum head. Personalized. Eight by want, eight photo. Eight by eight. You. That's an odd size. You, you, eight by ten. Okay. Eight by ten. <laughs> I was gonna say. I'm not saying. That, you know. Sure. Why not? But I'm like. That's an awful lot of effort to cut off two inches. <laughs> okay. So if you want a live chat with Tom Welling. Okay. So this is that two minute whatever. Sure. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. One hundred and twenty five dollars. For two minutes. Two minutes. Not worth it. Um, and if you want it with the guy who plays Lex Luthor, Michael, Michael Rosenbaum, Rosenbaum, that's two fifty. Not worth it. Not for two minutes. If you want an autograph from Tom Welling, that is seventy dollars. And they've got two different pictures that you can choose from. And that's a normal price that you come across on there. But you get to breathe their air as well. Um, now, if you want him to sign a Funko Pop for you, that's one hundred and fifty dollars. Well, see, the signatures, that's kind of a different thing because you're, you, you, when you go to these events, if they have their pictures on the table and you're signing, you know, $50 for an autograph, $80 for an autograph, that's a picture and whatever. But for the interactions, that is not how I would do it. If I'm, gonna, if I'm going to charge behind a paywall, now, okay, I get it. Michael Rosenbaum is going to charge me for his time to be there. Sure, right. Okay, yeah. so... The way I would do it 
is not charge $150, $250 for a two minutes. Because how much is that if, if you're if you're going for an hour, that's thirty times was that's six thousand dollars. You know, two thousand you know, two hundred dollars, thirty thirty of them in a in an hour, six thousand dollars. That's crazy. It's also one hundred and twenty five dollars for that two hundred and fifty character recorded message. Yeah, see what you do is if you're going to do Tom Welling, Michael Rosenbaum, Kristen Crook, and a panel, if they're going to be online and you have to pay them, then, okay, here's, here's the fee. We're going to pay this much. And what people are going to get for an hour, if we're going to do it for an hour, you figure out, because you also have to remember... In a convention, in a space, there's a limited number, limited number of seats. Sure, right. You can only have so many people in a panel, in a room, in a panel. Whereas virtually online, you can get anybody from all over the world any at any point. Except you're not going to get that many. Except in practicality's sake, there are upper limits of the number of people you can realistically interact with virtually as well, and right. that's something you have to bear in mind. But what you do is you structure it, and you sit there and go, okay, for $20, you can watch the panel. We put it behind a, pan we put it behind a paywall. For $20, you can do this. Sure. For $50, you get 30 minutes ahead of everybody else, say. You know, the pre-show or an after-show. For $75, you get to be in the Q&A line. You know, you structure it that way. And then everybody comes in. And if they don't want to ask a question, they just want to watch. you got 20 bucks. And if they want to ask a question, and that way what you do is however much you do, you, you sit there and say, okay, the fee is going to be contingent on the number of people who participate and you'll get x percent of what we drop what we pull in. And that and that is from a consumer standpoint very logical. On the flip side, things we also have to bear in mind that we don't know is what are the what are the agents tell the cons the rates are going to be right. because of course a lot of these folks are because because virtual has changed things, a lot of these folks are bopping from thing to thing to thing to thing, and some of their time has ended up becoming a different rate. Right. How that all breaks down, I have no idea. I don't either. But I'll honestly tell you that if I was a fan of Smallville with disposable income, which right now a lot of people don't have, um, it's definitely going to separate the diehard fans mm -hmm. from the folks who enjoyed the show. Yeah, who just in, who just enjoyed the show. I mean, a lot of people, you know, there were. Frankly, I thought Smallville was horribly repetitive, um, <laughs> but there were times I really enjoyed it. Well, it was limited by the fact that you couldn't. He he, he wasn't Superman. Well, not only that, but again, it would come back to TV storytelling structure at the time, yeah. and what you were going to get from that network and and that time period, and the restriction that he couldn't put on the suit. Um, he wouldn't put on the suit either. Well, at the end, no. But during during the other yeah. period when he wasn't allowed to, so you end up with these things where you're not okay. As you pay what the you charge what the market will bear. This is a you know we're we're used to that, right? 
But right now, if it was me, and at no point has anyone come to me and said, Tim, tell me how you would structure an online thing and how you would charge for it. But if it was me, um, I would just want eyeballs. I would want people coming into the panel. I would want people coming into the thing and charge. If I'm going to charge them, if I have, if I've got an overhead that I got to meet, if I had, if I can get these folks, you know, you know what, folks, we can get you the cast of Smallville. This is how much it's costing us, you know, or or you know, they look. These folks, time is valuable. We're paying them, which means here's our ticket prices. Yeah. If you can, you know, and here's and the we things. have to have, we have to sell this many in but order for I this thing to make. I am not gonna. Li- I am completely not gonna lie to you. You are not getting 150, 200 bucks out of me to get two minutes of anything. No, no, not unless, not at all. Unless it's two minutes of me being put. I'm on fire. And I will give you two hundred dollars to give me two minutes of fire extinguisher. <laughs> I mean, you know that I, I might be willing to make that financial financial deal. Yeah, I'm not. If my credit card is melted, we might have an issue. But yeah. Holly B's in the chat says I had George R. R. Martin autograph my back once. It didn't cost anything. <laughs> but did you chase him out of the men's room to get it? Well, see, there's the <laughs> thing. See, the thing about it is though. <laughs> You keep talking about the fact that you chased George R.R. R. Martin out of the men's room, and I can always take that opportunity to point out the fact that you did not get him for an interview. I took the phone just to get the selfie. I forgot to George, could we get some time with you? Could yeah, you come over he, here? We he, are a TV station. You want to come talk to us? He managed to dodge every single attempt to he get him. He did. He did. He, he walked right past will, oh, I don't you know, know how many times. I got to, I got to speak to him for all of about ten seconds. Yeah. And he was and this was this, this was in the hall. It was like it was like a, a yeah. pleasant exchange of hello sir, how you know, you know Well I, and I the, like your work. the other and part of that after this weekend with the Hugos, had he shown up on our site, people probably would have stopped watching us because Nobody, nobody watches us anyway. Well, but see, but, well, see, but, but here's the thing. The thing is, though, the other consideration with panels, with online panels, because we've run into this at, at Worldcon and other places where people are like, no cameras in the panels, no cameras in the panels. Yeah. And uh, uh, the reasoning for that, as I understand it, is it changes the appearance fees. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a celebrity that does a panel, then they're they're in the panel to talk to the people there. Whereas if you're going to do a broadcast or if you're going to videotape it, that's another medium and that's another thing for right, which yeah. they should be compensated. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so there's them, that. A lot of them have the contracts. Um, I mean, that's built into yeah. these but the things. Other, that's just how... But the other part of it is... If you're looking at a, a virtual appearance, Stephen Amell is going to talk for an hour and you're going to do an online Q&A. Right, bada, right. Bada, 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 bada. Stephen Amell is not traveling. Stephen Amell doesn't have hotel. He doesn't have food. You don't have to accommodate him with a limo or the, or the who's he, what's it, or the, you know, any of that. Sure. So the expenses of getting him somewhere don't exist. And for people to sit there and go, you know, I'm going to charge what I would charge to go to a to to go to an event is unrealistic. And I think some people are <clears throat> are not quite there yet. Well, and I would say that yes, 
that is it is unrealistic. It's and 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 let me interject. I don't know what Stephen Amell is charging. Right, with right. This. And, I just and, use him as an and example. this is not, and and this is not a criticism, by the way, of any of the folks of Smallville. Or no. not having seen the Star Trek panel, I'm not interested in criticizing the people on the panel. I'm going to say a lot of that stuff. I haven't seen it. I can't speak to what yeah. they were doing. But it sounds like what a lot of it was um, with post-production anyway. Oh, yes. And so you look at these things, and, and so the, the talent may have nothing to do with how this plays out. So that's, please bear that in mind. Yeah. Um, for all, again, for, for all the bashing that, that um, George R. R. Martin has gone through... One of the things that I would say that could have solved a lot of this is if he had someone who sat there and said, George, you know we're going to edit this to make you look good, right? Nobody edited his speech. Well, and quite frankly... Nobody, would, nobody edited anything. But if you're going to pre-record a speech for someone, yeah. give it to an editor. You know what? When you're, if you're an author, you give your book over to an editor and you, your editor is there to help well, you look good. And here's the fun part. I use that term loosely. So when you talk about the relevance of all of these Comic Cons and everything, all right. So you have, and I and I went out going through all of this mess with the George R. R. Martin stuff and the Hugo Awards and all of this. One of the nominees for the Astounding Award for Best New Author, which mm -hmm. used to be the John W. Campbell Award, sure, right. One of the nominees who actually won the award, mm -hmm. posted on Twitter, oh, was that this week? I completely forgot. I was watching this, uh, something with my boyfriend, and uh, y'all have fun. I was like, wait a minute. You're nominated for an award. The communicate One thing that has came, come very, very clear <laughs> is that the folks who are running this were not great at communicating with people and I I can I can get that. Passing on but if you're nominated for an award that's to be presented at the Hugos, you would think that it would be important enough you would, that you'd keep track of the date. You would think that, but you also would find out that there was a Jewish writer who is uh, observing Shabbat, and they would not consider the fact that they were not going to be only going to be available to a certain point of time. And they sat there and went, well, no, it's going to go ahead this time. They said, well, I can't attend. And, and that's fine. I understand you guys have a schedule, but I can't be there. Yeah. And a, the, a, a ton of other authors sat there and went, move it up. I mean, how can you, I mean, what was so critical about the timing of this? And some of that came down to, you know, and that, so it seems like there was a, there were folks, uh, there were, and I, we got on the Hugos and we were planning on doing this, but I've looked into some of this stuff today. Um, there was a whole bunch of authors, like 80, um, who sat there and wrote an open letter saying, we've been assigned to panels we don't know anything about, and we're not actually qualified to talk about. Yeah, there's, and, there's a lot of communication issues there. But see, the thing about it is, though, you know how you, you, know how you get rid of half of that? Is you bring in a broadcast team... You well, bring in people, you know. a media experience, PR experience, logistics experience, who can put all of that together and plan all of that. But instead, at every single event, and, and this is not just true of Worldcon, it's sure. everywhere. Unless you have people who have experience in PR and marketing and logistics and all of that. Well, no, no. 
most of these places have people who have experience with PR, marketing, and logistics, but not for this. Right. But see, the thing is, it, it, you, you, have to, you have to find those people. You need, especially if you're doing stuff online, you need the people who know how to do it. And I've seen a lot of people are talking about, like with, with Comic-Con, with Comic-Con International, why didn't they, and I've seen this in I don't know how many different places, why didn't they get the YouTubers who were doing this every day? Why didn't they pair up and partner up with the YouTube channels that have hundreds of thousands of subscribers and team up with them and say, you guys have been doing this all the time. You've will, got this audience. Let's, let's do something. I will tell you two things. One, the natural instinct not to share. Yeah. Um, the hope that you can do it in-house because it means you're not going to have to pay anybody else. You're going to work with the people you got. And that's a risk. Sure. And some folks are pulling it off better than others, obviously. But here's what's going to ha- here's going to be the real question is this period right now from 2 months ago to the end of the year, really. Yeah. This is the learn this is this is the classroom. This is the point where you learn the things you do and mm-hmm. don't do. And it's school of hard knocks. It's and not it something where people are knocks. figuring these things out. And unfortunately that means that um, on the fan end, we're, and I, and again, I have great sympathy for these people having, we've done this, mm. we've been part of things where it has not gone. We've been involved with things that have not gone smoothly. A couple of things. A couple of things. Yeah. Um, but here, here's the thing is that you learn from it and you hopefully make a better experience the next time you learn from your mistakes. Next year, I really, 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 really want to be able to go to things next year. But there's a there's the, on the practical side of the world you have to consider the fact that maybe we don't. No, I don't want it, but you have to consider it. So when they're thinking about next year, and they're thinking about WorldCon or Planet Comic Con or C two E two or you know Salt Lake City or New York City or wherever you're going to be, start planning now. And and it's because it's it's the fallback that you. Had to fall back on this year. Yeah. You didn't have a choice. But next year, hopefully, you're gonna. Well, and hopefully some of these events will figure out that you can incorporate a virtual element. Even if you've got your event, you've got to... This is a thing now. Well, but, so... And here's another practical thing you're going to have to consider. And I think you, I think if you are wise to consider this if you're producing... And if, if you have a live venue, and this is how you how your thing is done... You may, if you're, if you're a theater or a concert hall or something like that, you want to be back in live because that's where it's. Sure. You can do virtual things, but it's not the same and you know it. But when these conventions come back, when we have live ones again, there's two things you have to bear in mind. I think that you have to be thinking about right now and, and thinking about then is that some people are still not going to be willing to travel. And some right. people are still not going to be willing to, to you know, they, they're going to be folks who are not going to be willing to take the risk because there's going to be an element of risk no matter what we do. Um, and there's some folks who are not going to be able to afford it. Newsflash kids, disposable income next year... It's going is, to be limited. It's going to be limited. 
Well, uh, and you've got to plan for that. And if you can do a virtual version, you get live people in there. You get yeah. people into that into that hall. You get people. You get you vendors. Do both. You then then you sit there and go, okay, for the folks who can't be here, here's the live stream of, you know, when you go to our playlists, Worldcon seventy four, Planet Comic Con twenty seventeen. I'm going to make my pitch. If you are an organizer of an event, look at those playlists. We can do that for your event anywhere. I'm going to limit it to the United States at this point. But we can do that anywhere. Because yeah, uh, yeah, because uh, I had to look into what getting a passport replaced today. Good luck. Anytime soon. Yeah. They have a 1.2 million backlist wow okay. so yes. so we're not we're not going to country anytime soon well and i was going to put on top of that because i was thinking you know you talk about hopefully being able to go mm -hmm. next year to events and after the comic-con at home because that was the big one everybody was watching i mean yeah lots of these little guys have been going virtual anybody who's been watching our daily updates knows right. this Right. My question to Jason was, now that we've seen what type of mess that kind of ended up being a little bit, how many of these events that I'm going to come across that are going to be canceling or changing up there are going to go virtual? Because it's like, if San Diego can't do this, how can us, the little guy, do this. I and think it's a lot easier for the little ones to do it, yeah. honestly, because you get somebody like Topcon or Smallville where the venue is smaller, the space is smaller, you're going to have maybe one stage for panels as opposed to 12 or however many halls or whatever. I mean, Smallville, you have... virtual, Right, but Smallville, you had... The expectation is going to be lower. Yeah. Plus, you know, if you do like you're talking about, where you have the live component, you have the people actually show up and are there, but then you also have the virtual element where you can have a broadcast station on the floor in the vendor's hall where you could do like we do, where we broadcast, we do the interviews, we go out on the floor, we talk to artists, we talk to authors and whatever. But then also that, that kind of a venue like Smallville, it's much easier to get access to the celebrities yeah. because we walk right past them. And, you know, the last time we were at Smallville, Manu Interami says, hey, you guys want to interview me? You know, they're more willing, they're more accessible, they're more open because it's a smaller venue. There's less pressure. There's less, you know, crazy, crazy, crazy. I mean, we well, talked to Katrina Law that way, too. Yeah, and I think you run into, you run into the, the your, your agent is more likely... To make you, because agents have a lot of power over what a performer can do in certain environments. Mm. It is due. Um, they're less likely to sit there and go, no, no, don't touch the people. Um, <laughs> but I think the other thing we have to bear in mind is that um, the cost of these large cons is ex cons are expensive. Yeah, and we've seen we've seen plenty of really cool cons that have come and gone because. You might have a really fantastic first year and lose all your money. I think the other thing, too, with celebrities, Ed, and you mentioned agents, one of the things that you look at with 
traveling performances, like say the Chinese Chinese dragon acrobats, for sure, example. Right. Uh-huh. They go to St. Louis, they go to this venue, they go to this venue, they go to this venue. They've got a circuit that they mm-hmm. do. Well, a lot of times they'll do what's called block booking, which is I want, we need them in St. Louis. Okay, I want X performer in St. Louis. Okay, well, we'll get you in St. Louis, but we also need to book them in Minneapolis, right. Kansas City, da, da, da. So you get a region where I, if I'm getting booked to appear at a particular place, then I'm also booked to show up six other places very, very close together. Right, yeah. So if you're Stephen Amell, for example, and you're going to Wizard World St. Louis, well, we're also going to hit Kansas City. We're going to hit uh, uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. We'll go up to Milwaukee. The, you know, you right. just, just yeah. do this circuit. And it's much easier to travel this little splice of the region as opposed to go to L.A., go to St. Louis, right. go to and, L.A., go to Chicago. And you've done, LA, you've done five or six weekends, and then you're, then you're back to shooting or, or yeah. your, your break from shooting or whatever. Plus you figure out with the block booking, that spreads the expenses out because sure. you're charging less per show, but you get more as a net because you're doing more shows. Right. You know, it's a, it's a quality quantity type of thing. Um, so I would, I would think that the bigger shows, like you're talking about the expense of the bigger shows, that's going to be a detriment, not only from the standpoint of how are we going to pay for this, but how many people are actually going to show up, we can cover our costs. Honestly, I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see venues shrink in size next year. Yep. Um, I'm going to see, I'm going to say that if they can get a sponsor, like a studio, which has its pros and cons. Well, and the studios are doing their own events. I mean, D23, you've got now Fandome from DC, yeah. Warner Brothers. You know, none of them are doing any of that. You know, Disney with D23, they've got their own thing with Star Wars and all of their Disney stuff. Plus, you've got Star Wars Celebration, yeah. which is their own thing. But, so, but let's, let's, San Diego let's... may not even be, a, they may not recover. Well, and and I think that there's something to be said, and I don't want to see any of these folks fail. It's very very clear. right. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, you know, I've having worked cons, um, it is a lot of hard work, and I give every time these things come off and and they haven't burned to the ground, and fans had a good time. It's mm. always a cool thing, <laughs> uh, but it's a risk. It's a financial risk, and so I don't wish any of these folks to fail, and I want all of them to succeed and do well because fans get things get hopefully fans are getting good things out of this. Right. But it, there's something to be said for these events getting smaller again, and having that ability to to have that more to make it through a crowd without feeling like you're you know yeah. you're trapped in a Soylent Green remake because it feels like you're so overcrowded. That I think you'll also see some of these smaller events like Smallville or Top Kind surge ahead a little bit, maybe grow a little in certain respects because you're going to have the smaller venues and you're going to have people that are willing to take the risk to go out to these places. Honestly, and, I'd, I'd feel more comfortable going to a small villain. I would be going to a C2E2 yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, next year. And that's just me being, you know, a little paranoid, but yeah. a little paranoia. Because Sometimes they are actually really well, out to get you. 
viruses are always out to get you. That's their. That's that's what they do. Yeah. Speaking of burning to the ground, yeah. we are uh, we are going to uh, probably burn this to the ground. We just keep talking because you were past pumpkin hour. Uh, we've gone an hour and a half. Uh, we we do appreciate everybody's comments in the chat. Uh, Holly B, it's good to see you here. She showed up in uh, in the chat earlier today on on live from the bunker. Um, tomorrow, live from the bunker, Chris Braley, the managing editor of BleedingFool.com, will be uh, on the show, and then I think. We might take a bye week on Triple Bites because we did a big one last week. Uh, you've got Tartar Sauce coming up on Thursday, yes, yes maybe, mm -hmm. and you're going to talk about how terrible a character Rose Tyler is. We, that... <laughs> is that the plan? That is the That's plan. That's the plan. Right. Um, so, so if I've just managed to make some Doctor Who fans just go, <laughs> how dare you... Come um, back in the chat and tell Tim what you really think about it. But I do want to qualify a couple of things real very, very quickly. One, there will be good, some good things to say about Rose as well. Uh, but also shocked. shocked I am. Well, there's some good things to be said about Rose. Even I am. I'm, I'm actually going to tell you the pros and cons of Rose. Okay. And but Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. There, will, there, will be some, there will be some lively discussion yeah. on the subject. All right, that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you very much. If you are new to the channel, we do invite you to subscribe. Make sure you have the notifications turned on so you know when we upload or go live with new content. And uh, be sure those notifications are set to all so that YouTube will send you some. And uh, we do invite you to sign up for the newsletter. If you want to send us money, that's fine too. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to object. Uh, and we do invite you to be back here live from the bunker tomorrow at noon. Tartar sauce Thursday at 9, all time central. That's going to do it. Thanks very much, folks. Good night. Copyright 2020.